Hey guys, welcome to the Newbie Real Estate Investors of New Jersey podcast. I'm Joey Chan. And I'm Jonathan Boyle. And today we're actually here at Clear Skies Title Agency. We're talking to uh, Victor Ng and Victor Liu regarding title. So stay tuned, everyone. Hey, Victor and Victor. Uh, thank you for uh, having us at your uh, at the title agency today. Um, so I guess we'll just jump right into it. Uh, how'd you guys get started? Sure. Um, I guess I'll start that one. So yeah, we get that question a lot because title insurance is one of those things that people really study in school. Right. Uh, kind of just stumbled upon it. Like I'm sure most title people uh, or people in our industry did. Uh, I studied at Rutgers, I studied real estate, and I was always, always interested in that, even in college. Uh, so I majored in urban studies, and then when I graduated, I went to monster.com, and the first job that I saw in real estate was uh, was a title search company. So I, that's how I got started. And then uh, I knew Victor, he was my uh, good friend in college. Um, so as soon as he graduated, he, he joined me. Cool. Uh, so Victor, how did you get started? Uh, you know, well, first of all, you know, thanks for, you know, letting us do this. Yes. It's, it's going to be pretty excited to kind of share what we know. But, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone kind of grows up and says, I want to be a title agent. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Victor and I knew each other in college, um, worked on a couple different things together. We're part of a couple different organizations together. Um, so when I graduated, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and so... Victor said, "Hey, let's uh, let's build this out together." Um, so I thought that was a pretty exciting opportunity for a recent college grad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we started together with the in the search space um, until you know I guess in 2014 to 15 we had the opportunity to jump into title insurance and open up the title agency. Um, so that's what we did. Um, yeah, so I mean it's been a it's been a fun ride all the way since college. I, I think you know pretty blessed with uh, the opportunity to kind of start building a business right from the get go. Yeah, uh, a lot of lumps along the way but it's been good no I mean you, you guys have built a uh, tremendous following and you know business so Victor can you can you tell our audience what title is what what is what does it mean to do title yeah um, sure I, I guess that's a when you get used to something so much you kind of take for granted that everyone th- you think that everyone understands what it is but right. um, title insurance is this this insurance right it covers risk so whenever somebody buys a piece of real estate, uh, buys a piece of real property, um, there's risks involved. Uh, the risk is that the seller may have may have taken out debt that they didn't pay off, or maybe somebody 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago borrowed money, and there's some sort of lien that runs with that land that you would be inheriting by buy, like, buying that property. Um, it also would cover any sort of, uh, I guess, issues with the ownership. So. We search back 40 to 60 years on, you know, to make sure that every owner, when they transfer to the next owner, the deeds are recorded. Um, everyone that had an interest in the property is signing that deed to convey that interest out. Um, we you frequently see uh, when somebody passes away and their heirs inherit the, inherit the property. Um, once in a while, you'll find one heir didn't sign off on that deed, or um, you know maybe the spouse didn't sign off on that deed. And so those are risks to a potential buyer who's paying 200, 300, 400,000, uh, $1 million for a property, and now, now all of a sudden they don't realize they don't really own it. Um, so those are, those are things that 
title insurance covers. Uh, that's probably the best way to explain what title is. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's such a big investment, these things these things get missed. These things happen, or you know, um, there's uncertainty involving real property. So that's so that they invented this insurance product to to help buyers feel comfortable with buying that property. I see. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So basically, uh, in essence, it's just to protect the new homeowner or someone that's purchasing a piece of land from any liens or anything that might come back to bite them. Yeah. Uh, so we call them deep, uh, defects in title or clouds on title, things that would challenge the ownership of that property, anything that would draw a question to the ownership of that property. Um, there's a little bit more to it, but that's probably the simplest way to simplest way to put it, I guess. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, what are some things that newer investors should be well aware of when it comes to title? Um, okay, so I mean, I don't know. You want to jump in here? You take that one. So, from a title standpoint, um, you know, any investor if they're buying a property that's in uh, that's in default. Or that's uh, that's delinquent on taxes. You know, like those are the opportunities that um, I guess investors are looking for, where there's some sort of some sort of distress with the homeowner, so that, that that's who they're marketing to. Mm-hmm. Um, that level of distress comes with a lot of title headaches, right? So, you know, a newbie investor could expect that those properties that they're you know, if there's a tax lien, they're marketing to tax lien lists, that there may be judgments as well, or they're you know targeting list pendants. Well, you know, in order for you to kind of target those list pendants, you also have to deal with the creditor's attorney and you know negotiate that negotiate the, the, the release of the foreclosure with them, or that you might have to you know if you're dealing with a mortgage a distressed mortgage, you're probably gonna have to deal with some tax liens as well. So um, dealing with newbie investors in title and the title that they bring us, um, it does it does pose more challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be a little bit more careful in doing our searches and we, our expectation is that it's gonna be a little bit different. Um, for those that are buying foreclosure properties from banks, REOs, or from sheriff sale, yeah. um, you know, it's important for them to realize that there are additional searches you have to do to make sure that, you know, when, if you were to sell me a property, mm-hmm. you know, I know you voluntarily gave me that property, right? And I know that it's gonna be very hard for you to challenge that sale. But in a case of foreclosure, somebody actually got the property taken away from them, whether they deserved it or not. Um, they're not going to be happy about that. So that's that's much more ripe for some sort of litigation where they're going to challenge that sale to me, um, and that's something that the title company is going to have to prevent or to make take a reasonable measure to make sure that doesn't happen and doesn't affect that new buyer. I see. So. Um are there some common uh, questions that uh, a newbie buyer would typically ask you guys, um, or should, or should ask you guys rather, speaking? You mean just like when they first contact us, or, or just uh, as they're working with us? Um, l- let's say in, in both both scenarios, you know, like uh, let's say I'm going out to look for a title company. What kind of questions do you usually encounter? Sure. Uh, I'll tell you the number one question we get by far uh, from a newer investor is, do you do double closings? Okay. Um, and, and we get that question so often mm-hmm. that we start with creating like this um, nice infographic that we can share with people because so, we get that question like so so much. Um, and I think sometimes what they're probably they, they went to took a course uh, and they were trained maybe to ask these kind of questions to kind yeah. of feel out whether a title company 
know, is investor friendly. Um, so that's probably the main question that we get. Okay. Uh, would you mind explaining what a double closing may be for someone out in the audience that might not know? Sure. Yeah. So we do get a lot. We have a lot of clients that are wholesalers. So really, basically, you know, um, if you're probably listening to this podcast, you kind of know what that is. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you don't, it's you know someone who's basically not actually purchasing the property, not taking title to the property. Um, they're kind of acting as a middle person between uh, uh, the seller and an actual and buyer, uh, and they're kind of keeping a fee or a commission in between uh, for kind of facilitating that transaction. Um, so really, a wholesaler is someone who's trying, who's an investor but doesn't really actually purchase and own the property. A double closing uh, is kind of, you know, is, is also a different approach or strategy than a wholesaler might take. Um, typically, a wholesaler who isn't making a massive spread, um, you know, they're making like five, ten thousand dollars you know, it's still a lot of money, yep. but usually people aren't going to freak out if they find out later on the, between the seller and the end buyer that you're making that fee. Mm -hmm. uh, some people are making such a massive fee that they want to keep that hidden. So in essence, they're doing a double closing. Um, and so there's two separate entire closings yeah. so that they don't have to really reveal those that number that they're making in between. They're usually buying the property uh, from the seller on one day and then selling uh, the property to an end buyer on the same day um, you know, in a separate transaction. So it is trickier. Uh, there is def definitely different risks um, to that. Uh, and then we, as title company, always recommend, if it's possible, to do the assignment route because it's a simpler transaction. Uh, but it is something that we do know how to do. So just for anyone out there, and correct me if I'm wrong with trying to explain it a little bit. Let's say you're looking to do a double closing. You have a property under contract with the seller for 200000 let's say. And then like you have an end buyer that's willing to pay 300 now because you don't want to reveal that either to... Uh, or to the seller or possibly even to the buyer, you do that double closing and then now you make that middle difference. That's correct. Yeah, okay. That was a great way to explain Awesome. awesome. Just want to make sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is there any other questions that uh, typically uh, get brought up? Yeah, that get brought up? Uh, I guess we get all kinds of random questions. I don't know. Feel free to jump in. Yeah, um, but those are you know the dominant question is do you are you know we heard that you're investor friendly do you do double closings do you mm -hmm. do assignment of contracts do you work with wholesalers uh, can you give us yeah. leads uh, any, yeah. do you guys have any list for leads um, the cost comes into play here and there um, you know how fast is your turnaround time um, you know do you do do you do sheriff sales you know basically it's it's they're pretty surface level questions on what mm -hmm. we do, what we're willing to do, and what we're unwilling to do. And right. I think, um, you know, I think that's the nature of our industry. You know, everyone's a title agency, um, but title agencies look at these um, look at these deals very, very differently. You know, some title agencies won't touch them with a ten foot pole. Yep. Uh, some title agencies are open to them, and some title agencies are, are super welcoming to them. So, um, and, and there's no there's no sign on the door that says you know we. We, we love assignments, we love double closings, right? Yeah, um, right. So I, I think that's why they, they're coming out and they're like, you know, trying to build out their team um, and because, you know, that's what they're coached to do, to build out their team, to find a title agency that's willing to facilitate those kinds of transactions. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I, I, I know you guys started, what, what year was it again? So officially, I started a, a, the title search company was my first company. We, I started in 2006. Victor joined me very shortly afterwards. Uh, and then Clear Skies wasn't officially started until 2014, 2015. 
Okay. Okay. So what's the main difference between when you started the title search company versus uh, now what you do? Like what was the main difference? Sure. So for a, a title search, I know it's a commonly uh, misused term or they use simultaneously the both terms, title searching, title insurance. Yeah. But really title search is the, they're the people who are actually in the courthouse doing searches um, at, for the land records. We're, they're not usually making like decisions about whether or not to insure, you know, does this look weird? They're just reporting exactly what's there. Um, it's a, it is a very important, but actually in the grand scheme of things, a, a, just a small part of the title insurance process. Um, but yeah, so basically we were just a search company. We worked for other title companies. Okay. You know, if you're a regular title agency, you're not, unless you're doing like, a hunt, like 20, 50 deals a day, it doesn't really make sense for you to really have the title searching arm. Um, so we were working for other title companies, um, and then yeah, so that, that's the main difference. And now our job is greatly increased. We're we're ordering searches. Of course, we do have that advantage from our title searching background. Right. But we're you know doing much more after that. Okay. I see. So are you st- are you guys still doing the uh, title search as well? Yeah. So we or? still um, you know we still own that company, okay. but it is something that um, you know me and Victor just it didn't really feel like. But part of it is because we want to really put all of our attention into growing clear skies, mm-hmm. uh, but also you know for, I guess probably maybe ethical reasons we're we're just not involved in that because you know our clients the clients for the title search company could be per- could perceive us as competitors yeah so right. we really you know we don't we it's a separate operation they run completely independently I don't even know who their clients are okay okay yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of what I was getting at yeah okay. One, uh, I guess, uh, common misconception about the title search and the difference between title search and title insurance is, um, you know, a, a title search is actually very, very limited, right? It's limited to what's recorded and what's out there in the county clerk and what's findable, right? And why do you need, I mean, the, the, a question we kind of get from investors or non-investors is why do you even need title insurance if I'm already doing a title search? Yeah. You know, wouldn't the title search already tell me everything I need to know? Um, but I mean, just to give an example, you know, a title search would reveal that you know Joey sold me a property and Joey signed a deed into me, and that deed looks good. But I don't. There's no way for a title searcher to find out if Joey actually signed that deed. You know, you're trusting that, trusting the name, trusting the signature, and trusting that the notary actually checked the ID, right? But there's a lot of fraud out there. That there's a lot of you know, uh, unscrupulous notaries out there that are willing to do things, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's where that's where the holes are, right? A title search is only re- it's a reasonable title search, but the title insurance covers everything that's outside of reason. It's the forgery, it's the fraud, it's the you know all the bad stuff that people do out there, um, and that's why title insurance is still really really important, regardless of whether or not you did title search. So um, title search is like Victor said, is very important, but it, it it has a limited scope, right? And that's why all the other holes, uh, all the other risks need to be uh, captured by title insurance. I see. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. That's okay. Um, so, uh, I kind of forgot my question. <laughs> uh, you go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> in the meantime. It's okay. Uh, so, um, what's... So, just... You don't have to give, like, major details or anything, but, like, what's something you've seen that's been out there as far as title that might be, like, something out of the ordinary um, like like a situation yeah like a situation there you go yeah. like an example situation that that the title insurance uh, actually covered you know sure. where I, I don't know I, I really can't think of anything crazy but I'm sure you, you guys have sure um, I guess 
you know, Victor covered, uh, in, you know, situations where someone uh, fraudulently signed something. So that does happen, and we do see that. Um, someone fraudulently signed a release of a mortgage. Uh, someone fraudulently signed a deed. These things happen. Mm -hmm. um, I guess other stuff that we've seen, we see for sheriff sale auctions. Um, sometimes, you know, the, the, it, in New Jersey especially, you have to go through a massive process if you're the foreclosing bank yeah. in order to take that property to sheriff sale. There's, they, they work really hard to do that. Yeah. Uh, and they have to send all these letters to the right people at the right times and have records of it. Uh, so we have a couple times when we've had investors go to sheriff sale. Um, they bid the most, so they're, you know, they have 30 days to come up with a deposit. And in that, in that time, we are checking you know, to make sure that this bank did everything right. Uh, and there's been a few times we found they didn't. They didn't notify certain people. You know, in one case, it was someone who's the owner was showed proof, the person who lost their home, showed proof that they were in a mental institution at the time, um, that they were supposed to be served this stuff, so they couldn't have possibly received the summons. Um, so therefore, you know, that would void the sale. So stuff like that. Oh, oh wow. And what is that uh, process called? Uh, well, the, that search is called chancery. Chancery, chancery search, search yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, would you mind going into detail about some of those specific searches you do with title-related stuff? Like what kind of searches we I do? I mean, like I know you said chancery. Are there any other, like... Sure. The, I guess the major searches we do is the county search. That's, the, you know, our, our first company. Uh, and that's when you search land records. Uh, additionally, we search upper courts, that's um, state level judgments. Uh, we also search tax records. Uh, we search, we do flood searches, tidelands. Um, we also search probate, which is a different courthouse to, in case someone passed away or is missing from the deed, we need to confirm that that person actually died. Mm -hmm. um, am I missing anything? Uh, I mean, we do like, um, we do the state. It depends. It's very situational, right? So it yeah. depends on uh, what you're looking at there. If you're looking at something, you know, if you're looking at a seller that's an LLC or a predecessor entitled as LLC, you want to make sure that LLC actually exists and it actually exists in New Jersey <laughs> and uh, is in good standing. Otherwise, there's a lien. That, well, the state you're not allowed to hold title if you're not in good standing, technically. Okay. Um, okay. So that would be an issue. You're not allowed to convey property when you're not in good standing, which you know you guys have bought and sold properties. I'm not sure. I, you know. I I I always wondered why. You needed something from the state saying yep. it was in good standing, so yeah. that's good to know. So sometimes you have to reinstate by paying. You know, you get those. Uh, you get those letters. If you form a lot of LLCs, every year you get these really annoying letters that yes. you have to re-register. Yes. And it's, it's you know maybe a couple hundred bucks. I don't know how much it is, but a couple hundred bucks that you have to re-register. It's always a pain, and you never know what it's for. But if you're going to sell a property, you got to reinstate. You got to you got to make sure those are up to date. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, the state will stop you from selling. Um, so it's, it's very situ situational. Uh, there's solar panels. We need to make sure that UCCs are taken care of and searched. Um, UCCs might be filed in the county. It could be filed in the state. Um, that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, that oh, makes sense. That's pretty... Um, back to your question about like the crazy situations. Uh, one one kind of comes to mind, uh, or crazy deals or title insurance things that uh, we did. We, we once did a closing, um, and you know it was fairly straightforward. Um, we received a payoff statement from an investor and the payoff statement was given by th their lender. Like they had a loan out with the lender. Um, let's, let's say it was Boyle Bank LLC. Um, and it was signed by uh, a woman named, well, let's just say it was signed by uh, Jonathan Boyle, right? So it looks as legit as it possibly could be, right? It, even the person that signed it had the same name as the bank's name, right? Uh, turns out, you know, the owner of that bank 
had a sister or niece or cousin that worked at that bank that was signing these discharges without actually getting paid. So she would she would get paid ten to twenty thousand dollars to release the mortgage off the property. And she was pocketing that money because I guess the the owner of the bank or the lender wasn't really that um, wasn't really that involved. And so he wouldn't find out until five months later that hey, how come this was never get this never got paid off? Um, and then but. From a title standpoint, from our standpoint, we got we have a discharge. The discharge was recorded. Um, we had a payoff statement, so everything everything looked legit. Except it was just this employee of the of the lender that was kind of doing going rogue and doing this on her own. And he didn't even find out. It wasn't that he wasn't getting payments. He didn't even find out until she was bragging about it to other to her coworkers about how she was doing this, and getting paid so much money to be signing. Uh, so he heard about it from a different employee, and so he called you know he called us up and said, hey, you know, I never got paid, and you know, obviously, you know, that's something that we have to deal with after that. But um, but it's definitely not something that the buyer wants to deal with, right? <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah, so it kind of brings me back to uh, a question that I forgot earlier. Um, with, with the title insurance, um, do you represent just one title insurance company, or is are, are there multiple uh, title companies, like, you know, for, for different situations? Sure. So we, we're underwritten by three main companies, uh, Westcore, Fidelity, and WFG. Okay. Um, so I guess, you know, for people that are unfamiliar with the industry, basically... <coughs> Uh, what happens is we uh, we do all the work as the mm-hmm. agent. Um, that means we are originating the business. Uh, we're doing all the searches. We're uh, determining whether or not to insure. Really, um, the only times we even reach out to them for any kind of approval is if the deal is over a certain size, and, and uh, you know usually it's around a million dollars for these underwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the time they're 100% relying on us to do our due diligence to close the deal. But then afterwards we give them a percentage of what we collect at closing, and they're really the the insurance behind us. Right. So in case, you know, you guys have a claim 10 years from now and something has happened to us and we're not in business anymore, you're not relying on us to stay on business to pay that claim. You're relying on these massive companies. Right. You know, some of these are publicly traded companies that have been around for 100 plus years. So, yeah. Um, that's, that's their role. But they don't actually, you know, look or get involved in our business on that level. Cool. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do you mind um, doing a quick walkthrough as far as, uh, let's say from day one, uh, when an investor calls you, um, how the, the whole process goes? You know, what the entire, so for someone who's never actually uh, purchased the property and closed, you know, so they get a kind of a sense of, uh, so day one, you know, they call you and they have a contract, you know, so go, go, from, go from there. Sure. You know, how, how yeah. that whole process, uh, internal process, actually, uh, you know, goes. Got it. Do you want to take this one? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, generally, our first our first interaction with the with an investor, and let's say they're a wholesaler, is they'll call us up and, you know, they're, they're scouring for people to add to their team. So, they'll... They'll say, hey, you know, like I'm working on I'm marketing. I'm, looking, I'm trying to get a few properties under contract. I'm working on them. Um, do you guys do double closings? So, you know, we'll, we'll explain to them what our rules for double closings are. They can't be short sales. Uh, both buyers. So, you know, in the double closing, there's two actual transactions. Each transaction must stand on its own. So uh, it can't be a short sale. Both buyers must buy title insurance. Okay. Even the wholesaler must buy title insurance. Okay. Um, and each buyer has to bring their own money. Right, so you can't just flip it and use the end buyer's money to pay the seller. Right? Yeah, like you have to bring your own money. A dry to pay close, money. right? Yeah. Um, so 
let's say they get a property under contract, right? And there's, let me kind of explain, there's uh, newbie investors, which you know, we work with, we, we've had a lot of experiences with, and then there's seasoned uh, investors. And there's, there's, a very, there's a few differences between how they, how they work um, and maybe you know we can add some value by explaining what the differences are. Yeah. But uh, generally, for a more seasoned investor, they won't send us the contract until they have a buyer lined up, right? And the reason for that is if they don't have a buyer, then like they might not have gotten this property at a good price. They might not be taking title down by themselves uh, if they can't find a buyer. Um, so uh, a newbie investor might send us a contract and says, "I'll and say I'm working on finding a buyer." Uh, and then, then we kind of are in a holding pattern. Should we start on the searches? Should we not start on the searches? We typically do. Um, but then, you know, maybe a couple months down the line or a couple weeks, a couple months down the line, they say, oh, we finally found a buyer. Uh, we now have to close in three, in three days. Um, so hopefully we've finished the searches. Um, and then when the title gets ordered, we order the searches. The searches come back and the searches get examined. Uh, after they get examined, uh, there's something that goes out called the title commitment. Uh, title commitment is kind of like a, a checklist of things that you have to clean up. It's kind of like an inspection checklist, right? Mm -hmm. All the things that you have to clean up from a title standpoint in order for us to provide title insurance. After that, it moves to our settlement department. Our settlement department is really the ones that handle the money. So they will prepare a closing statement um, to make sure the seller is paying everything they need to pay, the buyer is paying everything they need to pay. Um, and then they actually facilitate the actual closing. So they'll make sure that all the things that need to be collected on the commitment get collected, and then they send a notary out to the closing um, and make sure that everything is signed correctly. For, um, but for a newbie investor, again, to go back to that, a newbie investor, again, they won't have the buyer lined up necessarily, uh, and then they'll want to close very, very soon, even though there's no, I think, you know, for a lot of people, there's this sense of urgency because they think the deal is going to fall apart if they don't close quickly, yeah. or maybe they promise the seller something. Um, maybe they promise the seller something that you know is a little bit unreasonable, and then they take a long time to find the buyer. Um, for the more seasoned investors, they understand a few things. Number one is that you know, if it's not if there's no real deadline, like they give themselves ample amount of time to find a buyer, yeah. right? Um, they give them they set expectations with the seller appropriately um, and then they order title when everything's all put together everything's organized and they have a structured deal um, and maybe they'll even put you know they already have an idea of what's on title and so they'll they'll give us some of the documents that w they know we're gonna need you know some of the LLC mm -hmm. documents they'll put us in touch with the attorneys um, and then they'll let us know if the end buyer is using some sort of uh, if they're using some sort of transactional funding and the end buyer is using some sort of lender uh, a newbie investor might not have that stuff lined up and they'll want to close in three days and then they'll say, you know, a day before the closing, they'll say, hey, do you know any transactional lenders, right? And so, or like, oh, by the way, we're trying to find a lender on this, but they totally said they can close tomorrow, yeah. right? Um, so all that stuff is stuff that is much, but it helps us a lot more if that's all put together. Mm -hmm. um, but it causes a way less stress for the investor as well if that's all kind of put together before you know, before we move towards closing, because otherwise all they're doing is running around trying to like, uh, you know, get documents and make people keep their promises. And, you know, and that's how people, that's how they get screwed sometimes. That's how, you know, like mistakes happen. And obviously we want to avoid that and they want to avoid that and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, allow them to focus their time on either marketing to find more properties or, you know, if they're the, if they're actual investor to actually spend more time with the construction and making sure that the rehab is managed well. Uh, I'm sure your other podcast guests have yeah. addressed that. But um, I think, 
I think a lot of investors, they, a lot of wholesalers especially, they, they make their job and our job a little bit harder than it needs to be. Um, and, you know, I think having good habits and having good structure and having good, um, have, have kind of seen the whole process out and laid it out in their brains and in their minds uh, before they even engage with us uh, is, is a good habit to be in. Yeah, that's uh, that's really good advice for any any of the newer you know investors out there. Uh, I do have one question because I, I hear uh, conflicting uh, ideologies for this. Um, for example, a short sale, right? Uh, let's say I found a a property and now I know they have to go through short sale, yada yada yada. You know, like go through the MLS and then list it, whatever. Everything happens as it should. And when should people do title searches for short sales, in your opinion? Uh, for us, we do have like certain short sale negotiators that work with us, and they do that for a living. Um, we, in general transactions, if you're buying a house, you know, for yourself, like a retail residential transaction, we don't normally recommend people even do a title search, uh, just because you know if there's a title issue found, you're able to exit the contract in pretty much every contract we've ever seen. It's just like a clause in there. Um, but for people, if you're in a situation where you're gonna, your money's going to be tied up in a, in a de- deposit, especially a really big one like a sheriff's sale mm-hmm. uh, or even a non-refundable deposit in, in many situations like a sheriff's sale, definitely. For short sales, um, you know, these people, professional negotiators, spend a lot of time and effort negotiating down a second mortgage or even in that first mortgage. Uh, what newbie uh, short sale investors do is they don't do a title search they just negotiate whatever based on whatever that the seller is telling them uh, is on the property. They just go by their word. They spend all this time negotiating this mortgage just to find out later when they have a buyer that there's a whole other lien in there <laughs> that they didn't even bother to negotiate. Um, so by that time, they've probably already gotten approval. So now to get to negotiate that second lien, they now have to start the process all over again. So that can be months of work and time and probably losing that buyer. Um, so. Basically, for short sale, uh, short sale investors, short sale negotiators, you want to order that search really, really early on, so you okay. know exactly what you need to negotiate. Or maybe you can spend all this time negotiating that short sale, and you find out that the person that you're negotiating on behalf of doesn't even own the property anymore, right? Like they maybe like they transfer title somewhere in between, and you're negotiating with the bank about this debt that exists, but you know the person that you need to sign the deed is in a different country. Right. Um, so, you know, it's important to know what, what you're working with. So I guess the, the short answer to your question is it's our philosophy that you should order that title search as soon as you're even before you negotiate the short sale. Um, I, I think what's a little bit different about us is, you know, because we have that search background, uh, we're able to order that uh, very preliminary search to get an idea of what we're working with without without investing a lot of money into that title search. Um, for a lot of other title agencies that may not have that arm, uh, may that not do that in-house, um, they might they might have to hire somebody and then they wanna mark that up, right? Mm-hmm. They wanna mark up the, the title search fee. Um, so then it becomes a little bit cost prohib- prohibitive and then it's, it's kind of like a cost benefit of whether to order that title search so much earlier. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit different philosophy, but it's also like a, an economic decision and an economic reality of what we, uh, what we do. So, um, I guess that's a little bit of a benefit of what, why we kind of uh, have become a title agency that's been known for work with investors because, you know, sometimes you just need one of those quick and dirty title searches, you know, um, yeah. without the full binder yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've used it multiple times, you know, and 
uh, in the past when I was doing sheriff sales. Okay. I've used it as well. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty important. It helped. Yeah. 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 Again, the reason I ask was just for the simple thing that I know some newbie investors, even when I got started myself, like uh, they wouldn't want to do the title search yet because don't even have an approved number for the purchase price. So it might not even be worth, you know, like if let's say you you're trying to get it at like one hundred and fifty thousand, but they the bank says they want two hundred, then you know it's no deal for them per se. Yeah. So that's why I thought I'd ask. Just, yeah. I, I but it mean, makes a lot of sense on. That idea, uh, ideology as well. Yeah, if so. I was paying two hundred fifty dollars for a title search, to, you know, give you a sense, we charge seventy five dollars for a quick and dirty title search. Yeah. Um, okay. So seventy five dollars is, uh, you know, it, it's money, but it's not like, it's not so much that it's it's gonna really burn you so much to, to know what you're working with. Yeah, right. Okay. If it's two hundred fifty, three hundred, four hundred, then you know, I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah. Got it. Right. Especially if you're doing multiple properties. Yeah, know? absolutely. If you're doing one, it's I think it's okay, but. Uh, if you're doing like ten properties, then it adds, adds up. up pretty quickly. Yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah. All right, um, Joe. I don't know if you have any other questions. I, yeah, no. I um, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, in terms of questions. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Um, yeah. You know, really appreciate it. Like it's uh, it's been really a pleasure to yeah. uh, learn a lot more about title. Thanks for everything. Thank you, Joey. Thank you. Hey, so, yeah, thank you for having us. So, uh, take care, everyone. Thank you. So, if if they trust you and they they're just gonna go straight to like the title company, yeah. and do everything, then I'm yeah. good with that too. Like, if they accept my uh, purchase sale agreement, whatever, and everything looks good, then that's the way I'm going to do it. Cool. Yeah. You know. No, I just recently told uh, some newer wholesalers, like, here, yeah, you should definitely use an attorney. I'm going to use one, too. Yeah. So that way we could, like, get everything done properly. And so that way, down the road, like... You know, you know, they don't come back to me for whatever reason that might pop up and yeah. be mad at me. That's yeah, you not, never know. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, most most wholesalers do not work with invest uh, attorneys. Yeah. They're just on their own, and I get it. You know, you're not you're not taking ownership. A lot of times, they, they their involvement is really just connecting the people together, and then they're out, mm -hmm. and they use this like template to get paid. Yeah. That's fine. I get it. But especially in the beginning, like you're gonna have a lot of questions. You need someone to guide you. Sure. The problem is they don't know that they need it. That's the issue. I mean, I feel like everyone needs help in the beginning. Like, we don't come into the world like knowing stuff. Like, Joe. I did. <laughs> <laughs> you still made mistakes. Like, John, you, you're like my boss and my mentor. You, you're teaching Aww. me everything I, I need to know. Wow. Like, Joey, you're one of my mentors too. Like, I'm learning a, a few things from you. Yeah. Like, Mostly jokes, but. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so it's yeah. one of those things you always need to like mm -hmm. get help. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I also think maybe sometimes like people, when people get like a, go on a course that's outside New Jersey, a lot of states don't have attorneys. So yeah. maybe mentors don't mention it, so then people don't mm -hmm. think they need it. But yeah, New Jersey is it's a little bit different, and or at least northern New Jersey. At yeah. least northern New Jersey. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely higher. Attention.